0: And what a great song, amen? And he's our savior. He paid our debt. Because he lives, we live. And our final destiny is in heaven with Jesus forever and ever. We're we're so blessed and so thankful to to see you today. Welcome to each one of you. Exciting day. We have a couple of baptisms today. And so we welcome all of you that are here for that. And uh, thank uh, each one of you for coming out to church. We celebrate Jesus. When you come here uh, you celebrate the Lord and uh, you you honor him by being in his house. you know God God is the one that invited you to church, invited you. He's the one He built this house for you to come and worship him and you came you actually came. you came to worship him today and you do it every Sunday those of you that attend here regularly we're just... Uh, Uh, so thankful for you good to have brother mrs. Preston here Uh, pastor Preston pastored in Moreno Valley for many many years and now he is retired from pastoring but still preaches conferences and missions conferences and fills pulpits still very busy and uh, it's good to have them here today they're very uh, dear friends of this church they pray for our church and we're just thankful for their their love for God and they've been traveling preaching in different places, we're thankful that God has kept you safe and watched over you during these days as we deal with the pandemic uh, throughout the world. And uh, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter number six, Ephesians chapter six, and uh, let's uh, read together, if you're able to stand, if you would stand with me, and we'll read together uh, verses uh, 13 through Eighteen. Wherefore, take uh, unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having having on the breastplate of righteousness your feet shod with the gospel of the preparation of, of peace. Above all, taking on the shield of faith, Wherewith ye should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication, supplication for all saints. Let's pray. Father in heaven. We thank you this morning for the word of God. We thank you, Father, for the blessings that you bestowed upon us this past week. God, just the blessing of being in your house today. We do pray this morning for those that are watching online and those that are here uh, in the service. God, that you would just speak to each heart. And Lord, uh, uh, if there's one that knows not Christ as personal Savior, I pray that today they would open their heart and receive him. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you came to this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And we love you, God. Blessed now in Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. As we think about this spiritual warfare, and we are in a in a spiritual warfare uh, in this world, and as we as we come to this the, these verses here in Ephesians, we've always looked back in the context children obey your parents and the lord for this is right honor thy father and thy mother uh, which is the first commandment with promise and so the spiritual warfare starts in the home with being obedient to parents um the bible says that it may be well with thee you fathers provoke not your children to wrath so dads have to be spirit controlled not anger controlled, spirit controlled and to help them so well, that's something that you have to work on. And, you know, you, most of you know we raised five daughters. My wife and I had five daughters, so we had to teach and train them and, and help them grow and lead them. You know, And they, had, they, they would question things. I've told you before, I put the chores on the, on the refrigerator for all the girls to do. And at that time, Tara, who's now 27, uh, was just uh, maybe about in the sixth grade, and she looked at the list. She said, Dad, you're not on the list. Don't you do anything in the house? And I told Tara, I own the house. You do the serving, you know. But little did they know, most of those things on that list, I ended up doing because they didn't do them. It was just, you know, a show of authority, you know. I put the list up there. The list was, you know, I eventually threw it away. I'm doing everything. Joanna wanted a dog. I I, I promised Joanna a dog when she graduated from kindergarten. She was in the third grade, and she said, Dad, am I ever going to get that dog? What dog? I said, well, you said we were going to get a dog if I... So I finally got the dog. But the agreement was they would clean up after the dog, they would take care of the dog. You know who ended up cleaning up after the dog and taking me? It was just more work for me. So the more you give to your children, the more work it is for you. You give them toys, you have to put them away, right? <laughs> you know, you give them a room, you have to make sure it's clean, you know. And uh, laundry, you do their laundry. Why do we even have children? That's what I'm not kidding. But uh, if my wife were here, she'd say, well, you didn't do anything. I did all those things on that list. You didn't do anything. And uh, she's, that's probably the truth. But, uh, but, you know, we have to raise our kids. We have to teach them to work. We have to, you know, work is fun. Work is, uh, is fulfilling, right? And uh, that's the way you have to look at life is work is good. And we have the abilities that God's given to us. And God has blessed us with so much. He's given us our families. He's given us friendships. He's given us a community. He's He's has God created a beautiful world here in California. Yeah. Huh? I love California. Yeah. I love the I love the ocean. I love the I love the mountains. Uh, I love the desert landscape. I mean, when I go to when I go to Palm Springs, I feel like I'm on vacation. You know what I'm saying? So I can go on vacation here. Uh, you can drive. Uh, I went to the animal, uh, the San Diego Zoo, the the animal park. Anybody ever been there? Is that like the most beautiful place in the world? We've lived here 17 years. I've never been there. And uh, I just went there at the last minute. But man, there's the plants, the trees, just the the landscape. I'm just, I didn't look at the animals. I was looking at the trees and the bushes and just the, the desert landscape, God's hand. His, his hand of creation is just so beautiful. And then just looking at all the animals that God created, you know. And um, God is so good. And God's given it all to us. You see little, uh, my little grandson, Jack, he's like, elephant. You know, He's and he can talk just a little bit, you know. So he would, he, he would just name the, the animals, you know. And he was just so excited. They got to see all these wonderful creatures that God has created for us to enjoy, God is so good to us. We're so blessed. And, uh, and, and yet in this world, this world, we have uh, a spiritual warfare going on. Yeah. So you have God that created you, God that saved you by the grace of God. You're born into the family of God. March 12, 1972, I became a Christian. On that day, I asked Jesus to be my Savior. I was at the Rochester Hills Baptist Church in Rochester Hills, Michigan, and the uh, preacher preached. I left my seat. I was sitting in the second row and came down and got saved. God changed my life. God gave me eternal life. So, ever since March 12, 1972, I don't really belong here. I belong there. And I'm on this missionary journey. I'm on the journey. I'm heading towards heaven. That's my home. Now, on this earth, God gives us a, a, a home. I had a wonderful home in, in Hazel Park, Michigan. My mom and dad. Uh, the house was 600 square feet. Uh, we ra- they raised eight kids. We did have a basement, though. How I many of you remember basements? Everybody anybody ever had a basement? I slept in the basement, it didn't matter. I would be the only one left if a tornado came. I'd say, you know, I'd have the whole house then, you know. <laughs> They're all mad they make me sleep in the basement. I'd be the only survivor, you know, of a tornado. But so I always look, tried to look at the positives of life. One day I'm down there and I'm sleeping, right, in the basement. In the basement there you have what's called a sump pump. And that that was a little room there and there was a pump in there and that's where they met they they would read how much water you're using. The meter the water meter was in the house. It was in that sump pump room and so on the day the sump pump guys come and you just leave the back door open. Well, mom and dad didn't tell me that they left the back door open and so I uh, I'm laying there sound asleep in my bed. It's it's early in the morning. It's about 10 o'clock. And I'm laying there, you know. And, and uh, all of a sudden, I wake up. I, you know, do you, you ever feel like somebody's looking at you? And I wake up there, and uh, there's this guy, big, tall guy, just standing there looking at me. He's just staring at me. And I did like a silent scream. I couldn't breathe. I'm like, Ugh. And then he said, this is what he, after I screamed, he said, Meter man. I go, what in the world? What are you doing in my house, meter man? And uh, he scared me to death. You know, I always thought I always thought in that sump pump, because that led out to the sewers, I thought the creature from the black is coming to get me through that thing. And so I would put something over there to keep anything from getting up out of that sump pump. I always checked it when I went to bed. I'd go in there. All right, nothing coming up now. No snakes in there. I lived in the basement. But we were happy. We had a blast. I had, when I went to school, I had two pairs of pants and two shirts. That's all I needed, a pair. I had two pairs of jeans and two shirts. I wore them inside out sometimes. I wore them, you know, it didn't matter. I mean, but I didn't have much, but we were just happy. We had a joyous house. I was blessed with Christian parents, a family. But you know what, God wants, to, uh, God wants us to be blessed The Satan wants to destroy that family. And it's under it's under attack. And so he wants, he wants to turn. You remember now, you remember that uh, uh, to divide the family is, is a great victory. Uh, to divide a people is a great victory for, for Satan. And uh, so the, the key to winning a war, Satan wants to divide us. He wants to divide us over all things. And, uh, and so we we have our families. We have a church family. This is our church. People come out. This church has been here almost 60 years. God put this church here. Yes. God, you you know, led a group of people six almost sixty years ago now to start the church. The old church is down there in San Gregonio Street, and a handful of people started. And so over the years, our attendance has gone from 200, 250. Ray Howard rate right about that right around there. Gave it, God gave us a school 40 years ago. And so we're just building. But you see, my, I got this email from my, or a message from my, my sister-in-law, Ray Dean. It was early Saturday morning. I said, Richard, I'm praying for you. You've got to get out of California. It's so bad in California, you know. And, of course, they're hearing about all the restrictions now, the Governor Newsom's, you know, uh, all the restrictions on us and all the laws and everything. And she's like, you just got to get out of here you got to get out of kill now she's writing this to me from Washington State does she know how bad it is in Washington State it's just as bad as here maybe she's not saying it and I told her I said listen I would rather fight the devil in the sunshine than in the rain you know that's what I'm thinking am I a smart man of course I mean I walk out I'm discouraged there's the Sun you know I'm I'm happy. There's a few clouds out this morning. You know, we got a cloudy day. I'm I, I was going to move to Mexico today just because of the clouds. You know, but you know it's like things aren't don't look good all the time, but they are good. You see, the devil doesn't want you to see everything you have. That's right. You're blessed, and I'm blessed. God's given us the church, His Word. I have a I have a book that guides me. It's told me about the beginning it's telling me it's told me about the end and um, I'm just looking to him I have the Spirit of God he comforts me he helps me he lives inside of me I have God's grace God is gracious to me aren't you glad for God's grace we're not all what we ought to be and uh, I had Ingrid we had Ingrid here last week you know Phil and Ingrid served at our church for um, 14 years and they've moved to Michigan. He's pastoring a church in northern Michigan, and and uh, you know I'm talking, being positive like I like to be. And I said, Ingrid, man, it's good to see you. She was sitting in the back. I said, her, I, I'm bragging on her husband Phil. I said, Phil never had a bad day. I've never, 14 years, I never saw Bill, ha- Phil have a bad day. I mean, he's always happy. I call him and no, no matter when I call him. He picks up the phone. he's okay, what do you need, Pastor? Okay, we'll do it. Let's get it done. No matter if it was good news, bad news. So I said, "Ingrid, does Phil ever, does Phil ever have a bad day?" She said, "Many." I said, "Ingrid, you're killing my story." You know, he's like, "He's had several." So and I'm like, "What does that mean?" You know? But he, I said, "Ingrid, you know, you could have said nothing." And he said, "He's, yes, he's just a blessing to me too, Pastor." No, you're telling me he's having bad days at home. But the truth is, we do have bad days at home, right? And life doesn't always go the way we plan it. But God is still in control and he gives us grace. We have salvation, we have his blessings. We have so much. And you see the devil, the devil wants to destroy that. He wants to take away your joy. You see Jesus gave you your joy. God has given you the abundant life. God has given you a family. We're not no, by the way nothing's perfect. Nobody's perfect. We all have to uh, we all have to do our jobs and live and fill our roles. As a, I was a father and a husband and a and, uh, 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 grandpa and, you know, friend. Pa- God called me to pastor, so I'm pastoring the church. And so God has, so I have many, many roles to play. I have many things to accomplish by God's grace. And, uh, and you and I both know life is heavy. You have a job, you have to learn, you have to think. You have to figure it out. We've had the pandemic here, we have to worry about that, we have to pray about that. What are we going to do? What's, what's right? What's wrong? We have so many different views of things. At the end, we know it's a tough thing, we know it's a bad thing, and we know that uh, we have to live with it. We have to live whatever with the, what the law says. But in the midst of all that, God's still in control. God's still on the throne. You see, the Bible says here, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I can't do it, but God can. I can't do what I'm going to tell you today to do, but I know I can do it through Jesus. By the way, I can't do most of what I tell you to do outside of God's help because we're human beings. We look at the temporal. We look at the day. And I'm here to tell you, you just got to go on. You have a bad day, there's always tomorrow. You make a mistake, you sin, confess it. You know, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin, cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and go on. Go on. The belt of truth, that's the truth. God is forgiving. God helps us. God guides us. The breastplate of righteousness the Bible talks about here. Take on the, the whole armor of God. So we can stand, and above all, stand. Take on your the, the feet, uh, on your feet, shod with the, the, the preparation of the gospel of peace, being able to stand, stand firm. I, I stand for something. I believe in something. You understand? I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the family. I believe in life. I'm never going uh, to back down from that. I believe the truth. I believe the word of God. Um, And so we stand, we stand firm by faith in his word. And then we we see the shield of faith, the shield of faith, wherewith you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You understand? So we have the devil that fights us and we have wicked people, people that don't care about God, they don't care about anything but themselves. And we have to fight it off. You see, this is what we're fighting, church we're fighting the discouragement and the doubt that God is great and God is merciful. Because that's what it brings us to today. It talks about faith. Above all the shield of faith, wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, take on the helmet of salvation. So when we think about the soldier's armor, we talked about the the girdle or the, the belt of truth. Everything that I, that I do in my life is based upon the truth. So the Bible speaks of itself as the truth, the belt of truth in the soldier's army. This is what I believe. This is what I go by. This is what I put my, li- my faith, my life, this is what guides me, taught me how to be a good husband, taught me how to be a good father, taught me how to be a good worker, taught me how to be a good em- employer, taught me how to be a good employee. I follow the Bible. It gives us clear clear direction in that. Taught me to, you know, whatever I do, do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. You may have a supervisor that doesn't like you, but you work for God, not for that supervisor. And if you do work and you work hard and you do right, you know what, maybe you'll lose that job. But if you're doing right and working hard and you lose that job, let me tell you something, God will give you another job and it'll be better. It'll be better. I remember my friend Gary McCoy got fired from Kmart. And he made a lot of money working for Kmart. It was in Troy, Michigan, the headquarters. They walked into his office one day. He'd worked for him for probably two decades. They walked into his office. They said, you need to clean out your desk. You've been let go. He said, what do you mean I've been let go? You've been let go. Get all this stuff out of your desk. They had two security guards. They walked him out. They said they gave him a papers. Here's for counseling. You're, never, you're not allowed to come back in these buildings ever again. That was it. He stood outside that building. He made a lot of money. Now he has no job. He was the national buyer for Kmart. In other words, everything that, so, that was sold in a sports department, he decided if it was, if it was a bat that somebody made, they would, they would call him. They would say, hey, we've made these bats, these aluminum bats, and we, want, we, I, if they think, we think you could sell a lot of them in Kmart. So he'd buy the bat. He instantly made that person a lot of money. Who sold, he, he sold their bats in Kmart. Back then, Kmart was Walmart. And so he had contacts all around the world, in Japan, in China. And so, you know what? He just went out. There was a, he had a good friend in China who was a millionaire. And so they just started their own company. You know what he started doing? He started selling stuff to Walmart. Oh, that was a big choice. That was a good choice, wasn't it? He started a company and sold sporting goods, represented that Japanese businessman, and sold to Kmart. He was making twice as what he was making working for Kmart. But wait a minute, he gets fired. He's standing outside there. He's thinking, what's but Gary was a Christian man. By the way, Kmart called him back and says, you know what, we can't do your job without you. You have all the contacts. Will you work for us for six months as a consultant? He said, I will for twice the salary. You double my salary, I'll work for you for six months. And they said, okay. So he worked from home, called the people and helped them, and then just took and became really, really, really rich. You see, God, God watches out for you. And by the way, having wealth and money doesn't make you rich. You understand? It doesn't make Gary McCoy was a very common guy. Very listen, we went on youth trips, he unloaded and loaded the van, the, the trailer. He was an executive. You understand? He, but he unloaded the, the, the luggage for the kids, 16 teenagers in their luggage. He would get on the, the trailer, unload it, and load it, and he would take care of things. I mean, he was just a servant. It was just a common, just a servant. Let me tell you something. When you serve God, God takes care of you. And so Gary, and it was a tough time. Cheryl called me. She was crying on the phone. She said, Gary got fired this morning from Kmart. And I just said, listen, it's going to be okay. Chuck Shatsley, same thing happened to him. He was one of our youth workers. His bank fired him. He got a better job making more money. I can tell you, over the years, I've watched. You don't work for that company you work for. You work for God. You do your job, You be honest, do right, work hard, and God always will take care of you. God will always bless you because you work for Him. But in, in this world, we lose our peace because we worry about the economy. We worry about our jobs. And there's, you know, I'm not saying that we don't always have concerns about the economy and concerns about things and, and so on, but by the grace of God, I'm telling you, we know that God is in control. And so when I think about what the Scripture says here, taking on the shield of faith and take on the helmet of salvation, when I think about the helmet, the helmet for the, for the soldier, the Roman soldier who was out there in the battle, they wore the helmet because when they were out in battle, sometimes there were people that were on horses, and as they were fighting in the battle, if you were a foot soldier, you're on the ground, there's a guy coming by, and he would have a long sword, not like the shorter sword we talked about uh, earlier on in our mes- series of messages, but it would be a long sword. And both sides, he could he could hold that in both hands, so the horseman could come on this side, he could swoop down. He's looking, first of all, to cut your head off. If he can't decapitate you, he wants to, he wants to cut you in your skull and kill you. He's just so you're on the ground, you need that helmet because you know you, you, you're gonna get hit by that sword, but it's gonna protect your head. So you can fight in the battle. And let me tell you, one of the greatest the greatest targets of Satan is your mind. He wants you to live in a discouraged life. When we think about the helmet it, the helmet protects us from discouragement when I look at this passage. And we find a typical and, uh, I think, an obvious example of this in the story of Elijah. We go back to 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, we find Elijah, he's, he's had a great victory. In chapter 18, he, ha- he defeats the, the prophets of Baal. He calls down fire from heaven. And what he said, okay, he said, all the prophets of Baal, people were worshiping this false god. So he said, let's put put an altar here, and then all the prophets of Baal, and there were many, you call down fire from your god to consume that. And they did, they are out there, they put the the, uh, sacrifice there, they danced around, they cut themselves, they called upon Baal, nothing happened. So it's Elijah's time. Elijah steps up. He says, let's do this. Let's put a little water on that. Soak that wood. And make it, make it soak so that around that altar, it was filled with water. And the Bible says that God that he prayed and the God of heaven sent fire down and consumed that, that sacrifice, consumed the, the altar and lapped up the water. And then they, they killed all those prophets. And so, man, it was a great victory for God. It was a great victory for God. And the Bible says in verse 46 of chapter 18 of 1 Kings, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And Ahab told Jezebel, verse, chapter 19, verse 1, what he had done and with withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you, just like you, you killed those prophets. But tomorrow, by this time, Elijah, you're gonna be dead. That's what, that was her threat upon him. And verse 3 says that when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. Now, wait a minute, he just called on fire out of heaven. You know, was that a pretty powerful demonstration of God's power? Now, if that's me and I'm running from Jezebel, I say, God, give me a, give me a zap right here. Let's just burn her up. You know, that's what I would be praying. But no, he's running. He's afraid. And look what he does. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He's just running into the wilderness. He came down under a juniper tree. Look what he says. And he requested for himself that he might die. God, just kill me. He just won a great victory. He's so discouraged, he just wants to die. Jezebel has threatened him. And said, it is enough now, Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. I mean, he went from the greatest victory to being discouraged. He's running. He sits down under that juniper tree. And he says, Lord, Lord, just let me die. Just let me die, God. He should have been, listen, Jezebel's after him, so what? He serves God. God just gave him a great victory. May I suggest to you this morning that after great victory sometimes comes great discouragement. You graduate from college, everything is good now, isn't it girls? You just you don't have anything to do, you just take it easy, your life, you know, you just get up when you want to, go to bed when you want to. No, you've got they're teaching. It's harder now than it was in college. Life, look. Why wow, you got responsibility? You got things to do. You got papers to grade, prepping, grading, prepping, helping the children, and so discouragement. Elijah is discouraged. Look in verse nine. It says, "And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there." He runs now. He's hiding in a cave. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, "What doest thou here, Elijah? L- Elijah, what are you doing in the cave?" And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord of God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. He, this is what Elijah is saying. The people, the children of Israel, have forsaken thy covenant and, uh, and thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. He says the people are rebelling. The people aren't following I, listen, I'm, he, he just wants to die. Do you know that not everybody is always going to be everything we think they ought to be? You understand? And so we can't focus our lives on people. We can't focus our, our lives on promises from human beings, from people, because they're people. In this world, we have some evil people. In this world, we have some good people. You understand? And in the middle, we just have people. People. And so, by the grace of God, we're trying... By the way, what's good about me is Jesus Christ. For by grace I'm saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, not of what I do, lest any man should boast. I can't stand before you this morning and boast. It's just by the grace of God I'm here. I'm in church. By the grace of God, in 1981, I entered into the ministry. It's just by the grace of God, all these years, living in Atlanta, Georgia, Seattle, Washington, Michigan, the Detroit, Michigan area, and now in in California. It's by the grace of God that I'm here today. Because throughout that time, there was a lot of discouragements, a lot of problems, a lot of difficulties. But we must stay focused upon Jesus. We must stay focused upon God. He said, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. And so the Bible says in verse 14 at the end of it, it says, I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness, to Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Israel. And notice what it says here in verse 18. Yet have I left 7,000 in Israel all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which hath not kissed him. He said, listen to me, listen to me, Elijah. I've got 7,000 people. That's all you need. You don't need all the big army. You've got 7,000. Stop being discouraged. And we find later on God kills Jezebel. And he takes care of it. But in the meantime, Elijah's discouraged. discouraged. Elijah wants to die. God, let me tell you something, church. God takes care of us. And just like Elijah had the great great victory, now he's running because he's got got some opposition from Jezebel. And people will oppose sometimes what you do. People will not will oppose what you say. Right? You remember, you know, you know who your number one opposer is? Satan is, right? It's your children. Amen. <laughs> you remember when your kids were small? Don't touch that. You know, so I don't know which one it was, one of the grandchildren. They would do the opposite of what I, they would say. And for some reason, he wanted to take off his pants, you know. We're in the house there and take off. So I said, you know, he, he, wanted to, he wanted to get in his bathing suit or something, you know. So he's taking off his pants. He wants to swim in the pool. And the parents are saying, don't do that. Don't take off your pants. And when they'd say, he'd start taking them off. So I said, take off your pants. I use reverse psychology. <laughs> no, I'm not taking my pants off. I'm leaving them on. You're not telling me what to do. <laughs> Kids, you've got to teach them to obey. Don't touch that, you know. It's the same thing with my dog, my dog Max, you know. My, my daughters always tell me, Don't, Dad, don't be so mean to Max. I said, Max either does what I says, or Max will be in doggy heaven. All dogs go to heaven. We know that. That's not true, by the way. I'm just kidding there, but. And uh, I left Max home. I leave the back, I shouldn't say I leave the back door open. Somebody's watching them go steal everything at the house. Thank you. If you'd like to go to the house, I'm not, you know. I live on 4th Street at the end of Banning. Well, that's Mike's house. I'm sorry, no, wrong house. I'll give him your address, you know, they're going to be breaking in while we're in church. And uh, so he ate a hole through the curtain. The curtain's there just for him to run through. He eats a hole through it, you know. So I said, Max, you're going to live one more day, <laughs> one more day, you know. And then I said, he's a puppy. Well, you know, puppies do. They chew on things, right? He's chewing my chairs. He chewed up the chairs, you know. I, I got the... I got that spray that says, uh, "No bite, cherry, bite." I, I sprayed it on there and put some duct tape. I went in the other room. He'd come back, he'd chewed the duct tape off. I said, "You're a dead dog, Max." <laughs> yeah. But you know what he's a puppy. i got to teach him. I got to teach him not to eat things. Listen, human nature is, don't tell me what to do, right? And you know the, you know who that after the devil, the, the number one enemy you have is you. Nobody can stop you from doing what you need to do. It's like, you know, I told you before, I was in Bible college. They said you can't throw rocks at the ducks. That was one of the rules. And one day they emphasized that in the chapel. Don't throw rocks at the duck down by the pond on the campus. You know what I did? I've never wanted to throw a rock at a duck, never. I went down and I picked up a handful of rocks and I tried to hit as many ducks as I could and I'm you know I'm like a you know I'll never forget we're in chapel I was a freshman and they read the names of people who skipped chapel and weren't and went to McDonald's and I'd said those people are so carnal those people are so wicked they would skip chapel in a Bible college and go get something from McDonald's and then I remember I was a senior and me and John Price we went we were sitting in McDonald's during chapel time I mean, I don't need chapel. I was married by then. I had a baby. Why do I, I, we go to chapel every day. I said, hey, it was towards the end of the year. We're going to graduate. Hey, let's, we didn't get to see each other much. We're both married. Let's go get, let's go get something McDonald's. So we're down there. I'm sitting there and I go to eat that, take a bite of that hamburger right about 1125 when chapel will be going on. And it came back to my mind what I had said about the carnal. You say, what did you do, Pastor? I asked God to forgive me and ate the hamburger. Amen? That was it. I asked God to forgive me and ate the hamburger. But you know what? Don't, don't we, we just judge people? I never do that. And then here you are doing it. You know what I'm saying? And by the way, if you do it, ask God to forgive you and go on. You understand? Tomorrow's another day. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to blow it. Talking about blowing it, did the Dodgers blow it last night? Did anybody watch that game? The Dodgers have the game one. The game is over. It's in the the bottom of the ninth. And there's there's two outs. There's a man on first. You got two outs now. And a man on first. And the guys up to bat the guys up to bats the best hitter. So they walk him. They don't pitch a good pitch to him. Now you got a guy up there. He's a lefty just like me, which I would love. He's up there, right? And it goes to one ball, two strikes. So you're one strike away from taking a three-to-one lead in the World Series. Very few teams come back from a three-to- one lead. And so here's this guy. The pitcher gives him a good pitch. Don't give him a good pitch. Throw it in the dirt, he'll probably swing. The guy was not even supposed to be on the team. He was like the, the, the clubhouse boy. He hadn't hit a ball. He hadn't had a hit since July. He wasn't expected, to ever even bat he was the last guy on the team. To, to, and so he's up there in the World Series. One ball, two strikes. The best pitcher in baseball, supposedly, pitching to him. And he gets a single. I mean, he's down to, they were down to one strike. It goes out there to the left field, field, field. He comes in. He bobbles the ball. He's kicking the ball. The Dodger. He kicks the ball. He picks it up. He throws it into the cutoff guy who grabs it, spins, and throws. The catcher's right there at home. And the catcher, you know, the the guy's only like from, for me, to the back of the building, he throws it, and he throws it this way. The guy's coming here. Well, the guy in Tampa Bay is rounding third, coming home. He trips and falls. The guy running the bases with the winning run falls down. He's laying on the ground. The throw's coming into the catcher. The catcher goes, the the shortstop, at second base, and throws it too wide. The catcher doesn't catch it. He just turns around without the ball. The ball trickles away from him. The guy over here who fell down, he, he's, it's the funniest thing because he's just rolling on the ground. He's obviously just out. He's blown and he's going to be the GOAT. He gets up and he thinks the catcher has the ball. Then the catcher's going like this. Oh, I don't have the ball. So he just runs in, slides and dives and he's, they won the game. The Dodgers blew it. The pitcher blew it. He should have never given that little guy... Chance to hit. The left fielder blew it because he bobbled the ball. He threw it to the shortstop or the second baseman who threw the, the relay. It wasn't a good throw, but it was still catchable. The catcher blew it because he didn't catch the ball. The pitcher should have been backing him up. He's just out there looking around. The ball trickles away, and they lost it. They were down to two outs, down to one strike, and they would have been right there for the World Series. But now it's 2-2. Now the momentum's gone to Tampa. You know? But you know what they said afterwards in the, the press conference? The manager said it was horrible, but we're going to win tomorrow. we got to forget about it. We want to win the World Series. We're going to play tomorrow. We're going to forget about those three errors, four errors. We're going to forget about we were one strike away from going up 3-1. to one. we got to win four games to win the World Series. He said we're going to forget about it. That's what their players said. We're just gotta forget about it. And let me tell you something. When you're, when you're there and you've got two, two outs, two two strikes, and you blow it, you make a bad decision. Or things don't go your way. You know what you do? You get up, you confess whatever it is, or if you made a mistake, don't make the same mistake. Or if it doesn't go your way, tomorrow's coming. It's great. On, just live tomorrow. That's good. Because we have victory in Jesus Christ. Jesus. So, if it's sin, confess the sin, get back up and get out there and play the. the, Listen, life is going to happen and you're going to make mistakes and things aren't going to go your way. And maybe it's somebody out there on the team that makes the error. Maybe your kids make a bad mistake. Yes, that's good. You know what? I still got to go tomorrow. We got to live tomorrow. And we're still on the winning team, see? Now, the Dodgers don't know that for sure. Sorry for you, Dodger fans. I know you got a few of them here. They're very hurt today. But we're on the winning team. Jesus has already won he's had victory over death he's in heaven Amen. and I'm going there and in Christ you're going there and so let's let not dis- let's, let's don't be so discouraged even you know Elijah's like what God will give you the victory the word, thy words were found in me the Bible says in Jeremiah 15-16 and I did eat them I consumed them Thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. And that's what thy word is to me. The joy and rejoicing of my heart is this book. The greatest joy of my life, March 12, 1972, I received Jesus as my Savior. And he loves you. Those of you watching online, those of you in the auditorium, if you'll open your heart to Jesus, he'll come in and he'll be your Savior by the grace of God we can all and then Christian I know you know life isn't always the way we planned it don't be discouraged think about the blessings in your life think about the goodness of your life think about all that you've had in your life listen we've all can reflect Thanksgiving's coming we're gonna reflect now I know it's hard because some people aren't at the dinner table But think about all the years they were at the dinner table. Think about all the years you've been blessed. And you know what? Maybe there's somebody missing at the dinner table, but you're there. And so you be a blessing. You know, you may not have what you had, but you are. They have you. So enjoy your life. Enjoy your family. Enjoy what you have. By the grace of God, we have each other. We're blessed. We have our families. We have a church family. And we live in the greatest country in the world, America. The United States of America. Do you love America? I love America. I'm so thankful. Things are a little crazy now in places, but it's always been that way. Listen, you've got to fight. I'm thankful for the men and women who died so I can stand in this pulpit and enjoy my life. Have church and, and go to La Casita's for lunch. That's what I'm going to do. I'm, I've already got it planned. i got to eat outside, but it's, at least it's cool today, right? And uh, everything in my house is gone because I told somebody I wasn't home and the door's open, but other than that, things are good. You know what I'm saying? So let's focus on the blessings. Let's focus on the good. Listen, you, you've been blessed, I've been blessed, and we man, the best, listen, the best in our lives are yet to come. The best days are yet to come because he's in the, my day. The Bible says of itself, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And a light unto my path. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know my my life's in God's hands. I know it. Take no thought for the tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm not worried about it. I just live for today. Don't let fear today steal your joy for tomorrow. Live for God. Look to God. Let's pray. Father. Thank